Wow, after that cute baby, you have me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, good morning. It is my pleasure on these uh, third Sundays to get to uh, fill in for Dave and um, get to lead you guys and uh, share God's word with you. And um, as Pastor Dave mentioned last month, we are doing a series uh, on these third Sundays of each month through the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we thought that would be kind of an appropriate thing as we went throughout the year. Uh, earlier on in the year, in February, right before Valentine's Day, we hit love. Uh, it was actually, um, the real holiday was, it was Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but we hit love, and uh, in March, we talked about joy, Nehemiah chapter 8, how the joy of the Lord is our strength. And um, as you go through Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, Paul mentions there the fruit of the Spirit. Um, characteristics or traits that God wants to develop in our lives as he moves and as he leads us. And the third thing he mentions is peace. Peace is kind of an interesting one because we all have different kind of ideas when we think of peace. Um, I know for me, I think of peace and I think of a nice tranquil beach. A sunny day down in the sand, no kids around there, I don't know, out at sea drifting away. Um, birds in the air, the sunshine, and just, you know, the, the closing my eyes and hearing the waves, almost like those, those calming apps that you have on your phone, you know, the waves just washing on the shore. Maybe you're someone that thinks of like, kind of like a mountain, mountain stream or a babbling brook or something like that. Um, there's that internal type of peace, a break from our problems and stresses, and that's one way we think of peace, but maybe you came from... Uh, the 60s, and you live through that time where you think of peace as more of an external peace, right? The, uh, the, the peace and love, hippie movement, maybe you're a flower child at one time. Uh, you think of songs like Peace Train by Cat Stevens or Blown in the Wind by Bob Dylan, right? And you think of peace and you think of, you know, no more war, no more fighting, mankind getting along, no more arguing, people being treated equal. Um, that's another type of peace, right? No matter what type of peace you might think of when you think of peace, um, let's snap back to reality real quick and let me ask you, how's peace going? (laughs) I mean, right, if we look around at world peace, it's not going very well right now. I mean, it it seems like no matter how many times we argue and protest for peace, no matter how many songs we write peace into, no matter how much we focus on in life and peace, it seems like it's always elusive. It's always something that might be here for a moment but is gone. Most of human history has is, is, is been fighting and warring and struggling to survive. Peace has been, I think, as, on a global level, very hard to reach because personally, man, peace is more elusive than ever. I mean, it's hard to think of peace in the, in the world when, when you look at statistics that say in, in America, we're more stressed out and anxious than any other time in history. We're more worried. We, we, we argue. We divide. You look at our nation. We're just constantly complaining and looking at some problem. And, and I mean, peace is it, it's elusive. It's hard to find in our jobs, in the world we live in. And this morning, I kind of wanted to look at peace from the perspective of Jesus. As he taught his disciples when he was about to leave, he left them with a very clear kind of important teaching on where they were to find their peace. And so for us, I want to look at that as he's called the Prince of Peace. Let's look at what Jesus says about peace. Uh, John chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, or John chapter 14, I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's third service. John chapter 14, um, it finds itself uh, in, in the Gospel of John. It's a section called the Upper Room Discourse, chapters 13 through 17, where um, the Gospel writer John is, is kind of writing and, and putting together Jesus' last, I guess you could say, teachings, his prayers, before he goes on 
to give his life and sacrifice his life. So it's his last time with his disciples. And Jesus is walking him through important things. And he comes to a certain section where he, he gets to how he wants them to live once he's gone, once he's departed. And in verse 25 through 27, we find our text this morning. Let me read that to you. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I love where that that passage ends up at the very end there. He says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I mean, in context here, there's some difficult things coming down the line for the disciples. He's talking to them, and they never really quite got on board with the whole idea that he was going to die. But Jesus knew what was coming. And he knew this very night he was going to go on after this, and they would have communion, and they would have dinner together, and then he would go on to the garden where Judas would betray him. He'd be sold, sold out by his own disciple, follower. The whole nation that he came to bring this message of hope and salvation to would turn their backs on him and cry for him to be crucified. That the very disciples he's talking to right now would all scatter and flee at a certain point. He knows that the hero, the savior, the Messiah that they thought would lead them and take back over the Romans, would lead Israel as a nation back to their high power of, of, of respect and esteem and amongst the world nations, their Messiah was going to die. And he had a different plan for that. And in the midst of knowing what's coming, he looks at his disciples and he goes, let not your heart be troubled. Or, I don't want you to be stressed out with what's coming. Kind of an interesting thing, that word for troubled there, terasso, it's a great word. It's a, it's a word that means agitated, pulled apart, moved around. It's, it's, it's kind of the idea of, if you've ever been down to the beach and you've been hit by a wave when you weren't expecting it, right? And you know, just, you don't know what's hitting you head, in the head anymore. You don't know if it's a sand or your elbow or your foot or whatever, and it just pulls you apart. And you just feel kind of tugged in all these different directions. He goes, I don't want you to feel like that. Or kind of the idea of like you're hitting turbulence in an airplane, where you're flying along in your six inches of space that you get, and you've got your soda in your hand and your Bible or book or whatever you're reading, and then all of a sudden you hit turbulence, and it's like everything's all over the place. And you're just bumped, and your head's up here, but your body's shaking down here, and you don't know what's going on. And that's kind of the idea there behind this word. It means extremely agitated, pulled apart, torn. Not just, hey, I don't want you to get in any trouble in life, but man, there's something that, there's some things that hit us, and, and they, they cause anxiety, cause stress they pull you apart inside and he goes look that's not how I want my people to live and ultimately this is kind of the state we're in when we're not at peace in life I mean these two things are, are are kind of some of the things we struggle with the most personally if we trace back most of why we feel so overwhelmed so anxious so stressed out so kind of personally worn down at times doesn't it always kind of come from this idea of we had expectations in life and, and, and we want to control what's going on. We want them to go that way. But in reality, things kind of go differently. Or there is the fear that things could go differently. And Jesus is saying somewhere in between those two is, is where we as people, we, we, we feel pulled in all these different directions. There's this part of all of us that wants to control everything. That wants everything to go according to our plan. There's this part of us that has our expectations, our desires for our lives, and then there's this reality over here. 
of what's actually happening or what's going to happen. And, and he says that causes us to feel torn, feel afraid of the future. He's saying this in context of the disciples, right? They expect him, not their Messiah. They don't expect him to die. He's told them multiple times he's going to be crucified. He's going to die. But in reality, they're sitting here just expecting him to kind of go on as normal. And he's saying, I, I don't think you guys get this. Life is going to be different as I give my life for you. And this is ultimately kind of one of the greatest struggles we face in day-to-day life, that we have expectations and plans and desires, and somehow it seems like God allows things to go differently. It's kind of like the old comedian said, if you want to hear God laugh, just tell him your plans. And it kind of feels like that sometimes, right? Like, I thought things would be different. And I thought even good things, like our children and our jobs, things that were meant to be beneficial for our lives, they can become so stressful, even things like, like the other night I was at Disneyland, happiest place on earth. Um, and um, we were there because our seniors, we do something special at, at our church. I love our church. We put so much into our kids and bless them in so many ways. Um, one of the cool things we do is, is, is I get to take with our leaders, um, all of our seniors, our graduating kids, and we take them and do something over the top with them, something cool to celebrate graduating high school and that milestone. We've taken them skydiving before. Um, we've done all kinds. Of, I got out of it, but um, um, <laughs> we another kid wanted to go, so he took my spot, thankfully. Um, but we, we do all kinds of cool stuff, and um, so we decided we we're going to take them to Disneyland. But not just any trip to Disneyland. We're going to do the grad night overnight thing, and this was Friday into Saturday. Um, and so myself and a bunch of leaders, we all gathered together and took them out to lunch, took them to Disneyland. You know, all night long screaming and going on rides, and it's awesome if you're 18. You know, and me, on the other hand, I was at Disneyland, the happiest place on earth, and there's this part of me that I'm like, I'm here, and I love it, and I get to do it. And there's this other part of me that said, man, I got to teach for Pastor Dave on Sunday, and I got to make sense, you know, and I got to not fall asleep, and so I'm like going on rides, and I'm screaming and yelling, but also at the same time, I'm like, oh, no, never mind, I got to be quiet a little, save my voice, and like, I, here I am, the happiest place in the world, I should be enjoying it just as much as everyone and I enjoy it, but only part of me, because this other part of me is torn. And I'm over here, and I've got I've to balance things over here, and I've got this over here. And, and I, I wish I could sleep all day yesterday, but my kids had soccer games and all kinds of things going on. And, and it was like, I had to be up the next day. And, and that's how life is, right? You can't always control it. You can't always manipulate things to go just your way, just the way you want it. Sometimes we find ourselves in situations we didn't expect, and I know it's a small thing. I don't expect you to feel bad for me, right? First world problem <laughs> at all. I don't expect you to feel bad for me. But in some ways, this is kind of how it goes, right? You expect it at work. You expected things to be a little different. When you got this job, this was going to be the job. And you were going to feel so complete and so happy. But then your boss sucks. Or the people you work with are a little crazy. Or whatever it is, right? And there's always something there that's just, you know, it's a little bit different than what you expected, Maybe as a parent like me, it's like you have kids and you just thought, oh, this is going to be it. I have kids. Then you actually realize you have to discipline them and train them and clean up after them and wash their clothes. And, you know, my wife does that, not me. But, like, you find there's, there's so much more that goes into it than just what you thought. I thought they just took care of themselves. And it's like, no, you've got to figure out how much, to, how much of them to let go into the world, how much to hold back, how to protect them, how to let them experience life, all these things. And, and it's like something totally enjoyable now becomes this big stress. Or you get to, and I've talked to people like this, you get to a certain age in life and you're like, you know what, I'm retiring. 
It's going to be so easy. It's just nice and, and simple now that I'm retiring. And in some ways, maybe that's what it could have been if you didn't find out you had health problems. He didn't find out this was going on in life. If, if it didn't cost so much to live over here in this part of the world, if this, that, and the other. And, and right, we go through this list of all these things that should be good, that we should enjoy, but in reality, man, they end up becoming things that tear us, pull us, stretch us. And Jesus, he looks at him and he goes, I know, peace can seem so elusive in everyday life. But it's into that situation that Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Neither be afraid. If you catch that, he's saying, look, this is an option. This is something you can choose. Let not. This isn't something that just happens to you. You're not just the victim in life. Peace is something that you can choose. And it's only an option if you have another choice. And so he says, look, I've got something that's going to be better than anything else you can find. That's going to be better than holding on to all that stress and that anxiety. And we'll kind of work up through this passage, but he says in the beginning of verse 27, I love this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That blows me away. Um, he's saying he's giving us peace, but not just that. It's his own personal. This is what he operated from. This is what the Messiah, the Savior, God in the flesh, this is the peace that he lived in. When he was on the boat and the waves were going crazy and he was asleep and everyone else was freaking out thinking they were going to die. Jesus was at peace. When the crowds thronged for him and wanted him and, and, and everybody was grabbing at him, yet he moved through them in the midst of them and, 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 and was able to deal with and, and serve and minister to thousands of people, this was his peace that he did it from. When the disciples are like, hey, Lazarus is dead. We need to get there. And he's like, okay, let's wait a few days. I'm good. I'm at peace. And he goes, this is what I'm leaving with you. This is what's kept me, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh. This is what's been my peace. And I want to give this to you, my disciples, my followers. Now, undoubtedly, he's talking to them, and it's the word shalom there, uh, Irene in the Greek, but the word he would, he would be talking in Hebrew to his disciples there, and it's the word shalom, and you've all probably heard that. It's a common greeting, especially, especially if you've been to Israel. Um, they would say hello and goodbye. They would say shalom or peace. And it wasn't just a word that meant, um, hey, I hope you don't get in a fight today. You know, I hope you're at peace with people around you. It's, it was a deeper, more personal-rooted word. It was a word that came um, from, a, from an adjective, an old word, um, that, that meant to not be cut or divided. They used it when they described the temple stones that were, were brought for the altar, that they weren't to cut or hew with their hands or any tools that they used. And it was this idea of, ultimately, as, as, as that word came to be known, shalom came to be known as internally, you're not divided and torn. That's why he said the word troubled, agitated, which meant to be torn. And he goes, I want to give you something that leaves you complete, whole. They would say the word wholehearted. It's like this deep down part of you that, that feels like, hey, I'm there. I'm at rest in my soul. I'm complete and I'm not lacking, so I don't have to reach out and grab things. I don't have to feel like, as I've got anxiety going on, I have to control everything. No, I'm at peace in the, in the deepest parts of me. And as Jesus looks at him, he goes, look, I don't want you guys to be divided by, worried, by worry, torn apart by fears. I want you whole and secure. Now, he says, my peace I leave to you. But like, it's kind of a confusing topic to me, at least when I read that. Because it's not like peace is something you can bottle up and give to someone. 
You know, like some pills he can prescribe and say, hey, take two of these and in the morning you'll, you'll be at peace. So what is he kind of talking about there? How can he leave us peace? As we work our way up here in verse 26, it tells us. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. I love that. He goes, look, I want you to understand my peace I'm leaving with you. The Father at the same time is sending the Holy Spirit. This is the peace that you need. He's sending you, and this is a special word here. He said, if you, if you use the King James or New King James Bible, you read the word helper. If you have a different translation, you might have noticed it said the comforter or the advocate. It's a really cool word there for the Holy Spirit. And it's a word that meant paraclete, to come alongside and to aid or to help. And he's saying, I'm leaving you someone, my peace, who will come alongside and aid. It was used in a courtroom of someone who would defend you and argue on your behalf to stand up for you. They would be your helper. They would be your counselor, your advocate. And he's saying, look, I want you to understand there's something special I'm leaving for you. Someone who will defend you. Someone who will take care of you and aid you. He's there to bear the burden of your stress to bring peace to you when situations are overwhelming. There's someone that I'm, I'm leaving with you that will help you in life. And back in verse 16, I love, I love this chapter. In verse 16, you don't have to turn there. I just encourage you, read it sometime during the week. It's such, a, such an uplifting chapter. But in, in verse 16, he says, This helper will abide with you forever. I'm not leaving you alone as an orphan. This helper is ultimately link, linked to Jesus being with us. He's like, look, I'm not leaving you, but my presence will be with you through the Holy Spirit, the helper that's going to come into your lives. He's going to teach you and guide you in all the ways and things that I want you to to grow in. I've given you something you can't neglect. I've sent you my spirit. He's with you. The Bible says that he's in you. When you're saved, he comes inside of you. He resides within you. He comes upon you to empower you. And he works alongside you in your life and the situations that you're in. Holy Spirit is so important, right? If you're thinking that all of this life that you're dealing with, all the problems that you have in front of you are on you to overcome and to fix and to make right and to figure out, then he would say, look, you're not experiencing the peace that I have for you. It's a peace that's totally different from, some, from anything that this world offers. I mean, think of all the ways people try to find peace in this world. They try to escape life. They try to overindulge in things. We're, we're addicted to entertainment, to distractions, to trying to keep us from focusing on reality. We've got gluttony. We've got sex. We've got spending like no other. And, and I just read this statistic the other day that four out of five prescription medications that are f- uh, filled in a pharmacy are for opioids. I can never say that right. Opioids. Four out of five prescriptions are for pain-relieving medications. Now, I think it's great that God's given us advancements in medicine. I've used them when I've had shoulder surgery and stuff like that. But if you think about it, four out of five of of the drugs that people are picking up to help them in life are for dealing with pain. And that would be great if I looked around at society and I saw that people weren't in pain right now. But I mean, psychologically, physically, we're in more pain than any other time in our lives. And I look around at the state that that the world is in, and it's like we look for peace in all these places, and it only ultimately leaves us with more of a void 
with more of a desire to fill it with something else. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I gave you something that when you recognize him, when you let him work in your life, will leave you complete and whole, wholehearted. Because ultimately the world can't bring you peace that God's spirit brings into our lives. Oh, it can bring you fun for a moment, but man, that peace is something better and greater. And Jesus is saying, look, it's a peace that comes from the help that I'm giving you. It's ultimately, at the end of the day, when the Holy Spirit comes into into our lives, the third member of the Trinity, it's God with you. And it's not found in escaping or hiding from difficult things in life. It's found when we learn to trust the helper whom God's given us. And it's a good reminder that all of life is not about us making things happen the way we want it to go. It's not about us having our expectations or wants or desires met. It's about us just following God the best we can and knowing that the helper's there to guide us, direct us, and pick up the pieces when we don't do things perfectly. See, at the end of it all, it's a dependency on God, not me. And that's why he sent the Spirit. Often we kind of equate the Spirit with just these kind of over-the-top sensational experiences, right? You might be in, maybe you've heard of people in worship and they just feel so touched by the Spirit that they, they feel tingling and, you know, and, and maybe you've heard of spirit, the Spirit doing these amazing, miraculous healings. That's awesome. And that's kind of what my brain used to jump to until I really kind of got, dove into the Scriptures and saw all that the Spirit is doing in my life. I think sometimes we shortchange the, the Spirit in, in amazing ways. He does some great things in our lives, and I think we don't even notice it. Uh, Paul says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the Holy Spirit is there to energize and equip you with giftings that help make life better for people. Talents, giftings, things that you might just think, I was born this way, I've got this talent for this. No, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life, allowing you to make life better for other people and for people in the church. The Spirit is active and engaged every day in our lives and keeping us on track. In John chapter 16, Jesus says the Spirit, he convicts the world of sin. He tells us, look, that's right, that's wrong. Justin, don't do that. You're going to regret it. Don't lash out like that, Justin. And that's the Spirit working. Look, the, the Spirit is actively involved in helping us to understand who we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says. Who we are, he reveals truth about ourselves and about the way things work in this world. The Spirit is, is there in our lives to help us to understand our roles and, our, and, and, and who we're to develop into. And here Jesus says he's your helper, he's your advocate, he's your counselor. He's there to make sure you get through the tough situations you go through. He's there to provide the word of comfort. He's there to provide direction. He's there to provide you ultimately, I I love what he says in, in verse 26, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He looks at the disciples and he goes, look, it's not your job to figure everything out. My spirit will reveal things to you. He's going to remind you what I said. Ultimately, that's why we have the scriptures written for us in the way that we do. Because the spirit came along, moving amongst men, and and inspired them to write exactly what God wanted. Reminded these guys as they wrote the gospels what Jesus said and taught. He says, look, the spirit is so vitally important in helping you learn and guiding you through life. I love what Pastor Chuck said. Uh, in his book, Living Water, he said, the uh, true education doesn't come from the wisdom of the world, 
but by the guidance and the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's so true. You can study and you can read and you can become the most learned person in the world, but it's truly the Holy Spirit that comes along and gives us wisdom, that applies things to our lives in special situations that only he can do, that reveals right and wrong to us in a way that only he can, that guides us and directs us when we can't understand and we can't figure things out, that's the Spirit. And this is so vital. And it's also an imp- incredibly important reminder from this verse 26 that we should be people who, who love to read God's word. As he said to the disciples, he'll remind you of all the things that Jesus said. It's a reminder of us that he wants to remind us of what God says. He, the Holy Spirit has this amazing way, and I don't know if you've read the scriptures and you've experienced this yourself, but he takes God's word, whether it's a, a chapter, a verse, a story, And he has this amazing way of applying it to our lives in just the right situations, in just the right manner and balance. And the Holy Spirit, man, he's so alive when you come to the scriptures and you allow him to speak to you. We don't read the Bible because we have to, because it's homework for us, because it's bookwork. No, we read the Bible because the Spirit comes alive and and he reminds us of what God's done. He reminds us of how God works. He reminds us of where we should put our hope and our faith. And the scriptures, they come alive. And as we go through this, Jesus is ultimately saying, look, his spirit, my spirit, is coming to ultimately point you towards me. To guide you in the directions that I want you to go in life. To teach you and lead you in a way that only I can. You see, the Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Christ because it's only him that brings us to the presence of Jesus and gives us our connection and oneness with him. And Jesus would say to us, and he'd say to these disciples as he looked at them, now that I tell you this, do you really trust that I'm with you? Do you really trust that I've still got you? You've seen me work. You know what I can do. You've seen the miracles. You know that I'm the Messiah. Do you really trust that I'm still going to work in your lives and do amazing things? Because if you do, then you need to depend on my spirit. He'll bring you peace. And it doesn't always mean he brings you understanding doesn't always mean he fixes your situation. doesn't always mean he makes everything better in front of you. I love when Paul was teaching on this to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, he said this. He said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Paul was like, hey, look, there comes a certain point. We have to be willing to give those anxieties and worries and stresses over to God. It doesn't mean that God's going to make everything make sense. You might not ever learn the lesson or know why he did what he did, but to take the trouble and the torment of feeling pulled and torn apart and to learn to hand it over to him with thanksgiving, being thankful, knowing that all along he's, he's been faithful to you. He loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. That he's only got good things in mind for you. He says, learn to give over your anxieties and worries to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, trust is ultimately the key for us to find peace in some of the most worrisome of situations. And if our lives are lacking peace, if we're constantly feeling overwhelmed and worried, if we're scared of what tomorrow holds, We need to be reminded 
ultimately, that we're not alone. That God has us. He's not dropping the ball. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forsaken you. His spirit's with you. And ultimately, you have a choice. And when you come to that point where you, where you know that you can choose to not be worried, you can choose to not be stressed about this, that the Spirit's in charge, it's okay. Man, it's the most freeing feeling in the world. I remember, gosh, this is like 15 years ago where I felt called to ministry, and I started kind of getting involved on my path to, to be a pastor. And um, the beginning part was great. It was super easy. God was like opening doors like crazy. I got to go to this um, pastoral training school in Oregon with this guy named John Corson and spend three months living up in Oregon with this amazing man of God. And he taught me and discipled us. And it was just a small group of 20 guys. And we had all these cool adventures. And then I came down knowing I wanted to be a pastor and um, got into college and did my undergrad degree in Christian ministry. And that was all paid for and covered. It was this really cool time of my life. And I thought, cool, God's opening the doors for me to go into ministry. Next up, being a pastor, getting a job, doing it. Um, except that wasn't next. It was like many years before God actually opened the doors for me to be a pastor and to have a job doing it. And I got to this point after, well, I worked at a surf shop and, and sold boogie boards and body boards in that industry. And um, super fun job, um, not a high-paying career. Um, and, and so eventually in South Orange County, having, a, having gotten married and having a child, it was like that job was not cutting it. And I was sitting here going, man, I, I thought I was going to be a pastor. I thought the doors would open. I've had some booming ministry with thousands of people. And, you know, I was a bit unrealistic. But it was, it was, it was like, I, how come this isn't happening? I, after two years of, of kind of being in limbo and wondering what God is doing, finally came to, came to a head one day where I just was, I was angry I was confused. I was like, maybe I need to switch careers. Maybe I wasn't really called to be a pastor. I don't know. And so I went down to the beach. I grabbed my Bible and thought, oh, I'm going to go have a peaceful time down at the beach. You know, that's my happy place, my peaceful place. Except I get down there, and it's, it's as the beach would sometimes be. It's overcast, gloomy, cloudy, a storm front's coming in. I'm sitting down trying to read my Bible, and the pages are just blowing closed. Like, I can't even read my Bible. And I remember I just got so mad. I'm like, God, I came down here because I thought you were going to just speak to me and tell me what I should do. Like, I thought you were going to just tell me, okay, go into a new career or be a pastor or whatever. Just wait, you know, whatever it is that you wanted to say. I'm here to hear from you, and you're not saying anything to me. You're not laying out which path I should go on. Why aren't you doing this? And as I grumbled and moaned and complained, you know, I sat there having my little, my little pity party. Um, eventually, God just spoke two words to me. And I wish I could tell you he parted the heavens and spoke in a booming voice and it was some super spiritual thing, but it wasn't. I think it was two words because I'm pretty dumb and it needs to dumb it down to just two words. And it wasn't anything that made sense either because it was two words that just like were in my head. He didn't speak it audibly, but it was, I couldn't get them out of my head. And it was just, uh, he said, Justin, you choose. I was like, that's not an answer. God, you're like, I can't like go into ministry on, on the premise of you choose. I chose this. And like, I want to be called and, and have some, you know, there's volumes of books written on how pastors should be called and this, that, and the other. And God just said to me, you choose. I'm like, well, should I do business? Should I go into that? You choose. And I, I, I was frustrated. I'm sitting there arguing with God. And as time went by and I finally kind of wore out, the Holy Spirit came alongside. And he's just like, look, why do you think it matters? Why do you think it's all up to you? If you go into business and I wanted you to be a pastor, I'll work that out. If you become a pastor 
and I wanted you to go into business. Believe me, when people are falling asleep during your messages, you'll know real quick, like that, that wasn't what you were supposed to do. Why do you think everything works on you to figure out and you to get right and you to walk straight and you, why do you take all this pressure on yourself? And it was in those two, more, two words where God, the Holy Spirit came alongside me and he was just like, look, it's not on you. I've got this. The beach and the waves and the weather, that didn't change. It was still ugly and gloomy outside. And I walked off of that beach and I didn't know which way I should go. But I had peace. And I had peace and I knew in my heart, I'm like, God's going to take care of me. He's got this. Months later, Pastor Dave and Pastor Jerry called me and they go, hey, we have a job here at the church for you. And I thought, oh, great, here it comes, teaching job. And they're like, no, we needed a guy to do internet and put the messages online and take care of our website. And I was like, you know what, I'm at peace. That's what God wants me to do. I'm going to do it. I've got those skills and giftings. And, and he taught me from there that, look, this all doesn't depend on you. This all doesn't depend on you getting it right and you making every choice right and you protecting everything and, and managing everything and you holding on to everything. Look, give me some credit. I've got this. And I, I realize this every day as I'm so I've got kids to raise, and I'm looking out for them, and I'm going, oh, man, I'm putting them in school, and hey, there's eight hours that they have with someone else. Oh, no, like, what's going to happen? But the very same Holy Spirit that's in me is in my kids, and he's taken such good care of them. He's been so faithful, and it comes down to it at the end of the day for all of us when we're looking at our lives. Does it all rely upon us, or does it rely upon the one who God sent to help us out? Because of what Jesus has done, the one who's drawing us to Jesus, the one who's guiding us towards him, telling us right and wrong all along, look, it's all been him in the first place. What makes us think that now it depends on us? And Jesus is looking at his disciples who don't get this. They're expecting things to go drastically different than they're about to go. He goes, I want you to know that I'm sending you a comforter, a helper, one to teach you, to guide you, to direct you in life. As we look at our lives and as we kind of close down this morning and, and finish up here, as we look at our lives and look at the areas we're stressed in, we've got anxiety and worry, one of the first steps for us is to step back and to, to find some space, to find some time, and to just recognize that God is God that he sent us the Holy Spirit, he sent us a helper, that he's here with us. Take that step back as, as you look at work, as you look at your health, as you look at all the things that we have in life and to know, look, God's got this. If I lose my job, God didn't forsake me or leave me. If I die, even the worst enemy I face, death, Christ has overcome that. Resurrection awaits me. I can find peace. And as we begin to find peace, as we begin to let go, to take our anxieties, our burdens, to pray and hand them to the Lord, it's not a peace that comes from understanding, it's a peace that passes understanding that he begins to, to give to us. As we read his word, we find he's so faithful to speak to us in the way that only he can. As we set aside our, our, our time in our lives to recognize all that he's doing, you'll find that the Holy Spirit has been so active and faithful and good to you and will continue to be so, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And ultimately, he's drawing you every day closer to Jesus 
So it's cause for us to rest in his peace as we look at the future. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you are faithful. That it doesn't depend on us getting everything right in life. It doesn't depend on us figuring everything out. That we have a role and a responsibility, Lord, to be faithful and to, to seek you. But God, your spirit's there to pick up all the pieces. Your spirit's there to work in our life and to draw us closer to you in a way that, that nothing else could ever do in this world. So help us in all the areas of life that we feel stressed and overwhelmed, burdened, and sinking in to, to turn them around and to trust you. To make that choice to let not our hearts be troubled, but to, but to know that your spirit is with us and your spirit's in charge and your spirit will take care of us. We're thankful. Jesus, that you died to provide that, that helper, that comforter. We're thankful for all that you do in our lives, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. pray. Amen. Well, if you guys would stand real quick as we close here.